I don't remember much since that's almost 15 years ago now. But I think about that match uh, quite a bit, you know, even even to this day. Oh my god, this is the match I hate the most of my whole entire career. But now you're really really tearing my heart screws here. You know, contemplated, you know, stopping wrestling because I was so frustrated because I wanted to do so much better than what I was doing. Oh, that is a tough one. That one is a tough one. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even really think about that match that much. I, I try not to. You know, I was just like, oh, here we go again. You know, my, my body is, is, uh, is giving out on me. And mentally, I was, I was in a sort of a dark place. I don't know if I ever regained my focus in my competitive years again after that. Up to the point where I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get there. You know, I couldn't find a rhythm in a tournament. But I don't think I ever competed at my full potential in college. Um, it's true. It's like if I could do it again, I, I wouldn't have done it any different. You know, it's kind mm-hmm. of, it's just how the, how things play out. I'm not sure if I should be honored to be on that list or not. That was my whole identity, and now my identity is gone. What am I supposed to be now? What do I do for the rest of my life? Our guest today on episode 13 of Sudden History was a two-time NCAA champion wrestling at 133 pounds for Penn in 2006 and 2007. He's currently the assistant athletic director for recruiting at Penn. I think we've mentioned him on the show at least three times so far. Let's welcome Matt Valenti. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys. Okay, so you're speaking to us from the Olympic trials in Iowa City where you're coaching Pennsylvania RTC athlete Richard Perry at 86 kilos. Can you give some predictions at the other weight classes? Because for those listening at home, this show is going to be taped on a Friday and it's going to air on Tuesday. So, you know, if you pick a few of these correct, you you may look really smart for everyone. (laughs) You know, just looking at these weight classes, it's going to be one heck of an Olympic trials across the board. Um, you know, I, I was talking to, to some of our other coaches and some of my friends last night, and uh, I don't know if I can actually pick weight classes right now because there's so much parity amongst the top guys here. I think I'm going with Burroughs, and then after that, uh, I'm probably flipping coins at the, the rest of the weight classes. Yeah, I mean, aside from him, some of these weight classes, you know, the seventh or eighth ranked guy could win, and it wouldn't seem like it's that big of a upset. It, it's very much true, and uh some of these guys, I mean, the head-to-head matches of who's beaten who and the round robins, and um, I think if you wrestled this tournament 10 different times on 10 different weekends, you'd probably get 10 different results. Okay, so the last time the Olympic trials were held in 2012, you were an athlete competing for a spot. Uh, what's going through your mind as a competitor at this, you know, one day out from the trials? You know, most of these guys have had success at the NCA level, but, you know, even if you're injured or sick or just flat out don't wrestle well, you know, it stinks, but you have three more tries. You know, this tournament you may never get a shot at, and I'd imagine for most of these guys it's it's something they've dreamed of since they were little. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, one of the the blessing and curses of the day before is you got to make weight, so you can't be too preoccupied with thinking about uh, the competition the next day. But at the same time, especially for some of these older guys who are, you know, at the tail end of of their career, uh, this is probably going to be it for them. So this is the end of the line, and and you have to really understand that you need to put it all out there. And you know, this is your shot. You know, you have to be 
the best guy on that day to make this tournament, make the team. Um, so, you know, that's always in the back of your mind, especially the day before. And, you know, once you make weight and you really start focusing on the tournament. Um, but, you know, for me personally, you know, when I, when I was here, it's just about having fun and an incredible opportunity. And, you know, it's just an honor to compete at this level in general and, and to be, you know, stepping on that mat and battling with so many of the best guys in the country and in the world. And, you know, I think sometimes it's easy to lose sight of that. So, um, you know, it's nice to take a step back and just appreciate the opportunity they have in front of you. And you were mentioning you competed at the trials in 2012. How long was it um, after the trials that you called it quits in terms of officially competing? And then what you what brought that decision uh, to you? So I, I knew going into the tournament um, that it was going to be my last run at, at trying to make an Olympic team and win an Olympic gold. Um, yeah, that was that was predetermined for me in in a variety of ways. And you know, I was getting to a point in my uh, career where I knew that um, I was coming to a little bit of a crossroads where I needed to either decide to fully commit myself to the wrestling side or you know decide to to move in other directions. So. You know, I, I saw that crossroads on the horizon, and then just health. Um, you know, years of wrestling takes a toll on your body, and you know, by the time 2012 started to roll around, you know, I could start to feel the the toll that it had taken, um, and knew that another four years would would have been uh, a really difficult physical challenge for me to do. So, writing was on the wall going in. I, I really, you know, knew in my heart that this was going to be my last shot. So currently you serve as the assistant athletic director for recruiting at Penn. Um, talk about what exactly that position entails. Sure. So it's essentially uh, there's two primary responsibilities that I have, and then there's obviously little subsets within those responsibilities. Um, on the one hand, I, about 50% of my time is spent as a sport administrator. Um, I oversee a couple of sports at Penn, um, so I work with our coaches, and we go through everything top to bottom. Um, and then the other side of it is really kind of more what falls under that recruiting category um, is I do the admissions and financial aid work for the entire, entire department, and I'm the liaison for the athletic department to our admissions office and to our financial aid office and um, essentially in, in charge of managing those relationships and uh, helping our coaches get the student-athletes that they want to get uh, into Penn and get the financial aid packages and, and paperwork in line in the proper way. And so how has this past year been for you? I would assume it's been, you know, the longest you've been without coaching or competing as a wrestler. You know, I'm sure you get your taste of it, but not to the level that you did prior. It has been a steep learning curve for me on the work front, and it has been a little bit of fighting wrestling withdrawal period for me on the wrestling front. <laughs> um, I'm sure. It, it really is the first time in my life that I have not had wrestling in my day-to-day. And uh, the first few months, I, I think I had myself convinced that that was totally fine and I'd be all right. And then as the months went on and the season started and I realized I'm on wrestling and intermat and every website on the man uh, following the wrestling and seeing what's going on and checking in on the pen guys. And, um, you know, it definitely was uh, a piece of my life that wasn't quite ready to be cut out at all. So um, I've had my moment to withdraw for sure. Uh, I was fortunate. I, w I went up to the NCAA tournament and got to watch. And um, obviously, I hear the Olympic trials. So, still keeping it in my life to some degree, but it definitely is not as big a piece as it had been. 
And for you personally, when did you realize that you wanted to get into the administrative side of athletics and why? Sure. So about four years ago, um, one of our administrators left Penn, and it left a little bit of an opening um, where our athletic director needed somebody to step in and just kind of fill that role temporarily. So just after the Olympic trials in 2012, they asked me to step into that role um, and kind of do dual responsibility. So I was coaching on the one side, and I was doing some of this administrative work on the other side. And it was intended to be part-time and, and really just kind of um, help out on the administrative end. But in reality, it ended up being two full-time jobs for me. And that's really when I started to develop my appreciation for the administrative side, administrative work. Um, I was doing a lot of admission stuff at the time. So I got to really experience the positive side of admissions and, and seeing the reactions and feeling the reactions of student athletes that we helped get into Penn. Um, and that really drew me to it. And I really enjoyed that piece of it. So when the opportunity arose to move over to administration full time, um, it was really something that I, I had a hard time passing up. Um, something I've always thought would be beneficial for the long-term health of our sport. And by long-term, I mean, like a goal for high school and college aid wrestlers, not something that's going to happen overnight, but they should uh, strive to take positions within the college athletic department, which is something you've done. And I feel like if we get more people with a wrestling background or respect for the sport and love for the sport into, you know, decision, decision-making positions, it can only help. Is that something that you agree with? I absolutely agree with that. And I think it's an avenue that a lot of wrestlers don't realize can be, a path for them to take career-wise. Um, obviously, when it comes to wrestling programs, and particularly at the Division One level, the opportunities to coach are few and far between. But there are a lot of talented, smart wrestlers out there who don't necessarily have their hearts set on being coaches. But if we could at least draw some interest uh, um, from some of these guys to being administrators, to getting themselves involved um, on the other side, of the athletic department. I really think it'd be beneficial for the sport. And I was just talking to somebody earlier about um, how it, it kind of feels like we're starting to get there. And there, you know, there are wrestling names starting to really get involved in, in administration. Now we have a couple at the highest level, you know, we have the Bob Bowlesby's of the world out there who have wrestling correction connections. Um, but, you know, you got Joe Heskett who took an administrative job just last yeah. year with West Virginia. Um, you know, Roger Reyna, who's here at Penn with me, he moved into administration. He's a senior associate athletic director here at Penn. Um, you, know, you got Tanner Gardner, who graduated from Stanford's down at Rice University um, in an uh, administrative capacity down there. So we're starting to, I think, see the opportunities that exist on that front. But I would really like to see our, our wrestling fraternity in the athletic administration world kind of grow a little bit more. And now I'll say what I did about, you know, having an advocate in the athletic department. How hard is it or just how is it trying to be, you know, impartial and fair to everybody as, you know, Penn offers over 30 intercollegiate sports and you have your responsibilities so you can't just be the wrestling guy. You know, mm -hmm. from looking at from looking at programs that have been dropped in the past, you know, I can look at their athletic director and he or she may be a lifelong cross country coach or lacrosse coach. And from an outsider's opinion, it looks like they're just favoring their particular sports. Is that something you've thought of? And, you know, how do you try to prevent those type of feelings? 
So I'm in a little bit of a unique situation myself in that I'm at my alma mater and that I, over the years, have been exposed to, we have 33 sports here at Penn, and I've been exposed to all of them. Um, and I've developed an appreciation for all of these sports. Um, I think that the most important thing for administrators to really kind of wrap their heads around is even though your heart may be with one specific sport, you have to understand the values of all the other sports and what they bring to the table. Um, you know, one of, one of the sports that I oversee here at Penn is squash. And mm-hmm. when, it, when it was assigned to me, obviously I found a little bit of irony in that, that obviously wrestling and squash were up against each other. After the 2012 Olympics, when they were fighting to get wrestling back in the Olympics, squash mm-hmm. was the odds-on favorite to get in. But being around the squash community over the past year, obviously the first few times we started talking about it, it was a little bit awkward, but then we really started digging in a little bit more, and we actually started sharing ideas about, okay, well, you know, this is why we think wrestling really managed to get themselves back in. This is what hurt squash, and this is why squash didn't manage to get back in. And, uh, you know, you, you start to build a little bit of a relationship with these other sports. And, you know, I've learned that the sport of squash is, you know, not necessarily all that different from wrestling. I mean, obviously the logistics and the technical aspect and the rackets and the balls, but once you get past that, there's a mental toughness piece of it, and there's a conditioning piece of it, and, you know, things that you can relate to in every sport. Um, so I think I think administrators definitely need to understand that, you know, as you're looking at all of these sports, um, they're not necessarily all that different. There's a lot of similarities between sports, and you can get a lot out of every sport. And, um, I, I've been very fortunate, Penn, that my sports that I oversee have had a lot of success as well. I have a, a, a discus thrower as part of the track program. Uh, it's one of the sports that I oversee. This discus thrower right now has the number one throw in the world. Period. Wow. And he just put himself in a position to make the U.S. Olympic team, and he's a senior in college right now. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I heard about it. I was on the road at the time. I heard about the throw, and I'm jumping up and down in my hotel room you know, cheering for this kid because I'm so pumped that he managed to do this. and We're going to have an Olympian, which is mm-hmm. just so cool. Um, so I think once you really start to invest yourself in these other sports, you really start to understand what the other sports are about. Even though they're different, there's some great values and great uh, assets of each sport. Okay, and before I go back into the past talking about your career, uh, what can you say about Casey Kent, the NCAA fourth-place finisher for the Quakers at 174? Although you weren't on the mat coaching him this year, I'm sure he's a guy you spent a lot of time around in the past. Uh, Yeah, you know, I was fortunate to recruit Casey to Penn, um, and he is one of the finest young men I think you'll ever find out there. Um, He's quiet and calm as can be. If you saw him wrestle, uh, he's... Yeah, we, I was I was laughing with his high school coach the other day because we watched Casey win in the round of 12 and, you know, pin the guy in the round of 12 and he gets up and you watch everybody else win in the round of 12 and they're running around the match and they're cheering and they're all amped up and Casey does like a little half-hearted wave and then just kind of walks off the side. And that's very much <laughs> Casey's personality and his demeanor and, you know, he's very true to that. Um, but he had, a, he had a phenomenal run in the NCAA tournament. It doesn't surprise me in the slightest bit. Um, he is just a hard-nosed, tough kid, uh, very smart, smart wrestler, gritty, tough on top. And, um, you know, he's got a big heart. And as you saw in the match against Nebraska and the Wrestlebacks, you know, he's down 9-3, to 10-3, and he didn't give up. And he, you know, not a thrower, but he latched up the kid and pinned him and, you know, kept himself alive in the tournament. So it was a phenomenal, phenomenal run by him. Uh, all of our Penn alumni are really proud of him and really excited that he ended the way he did. 
So circling back to the beginning of your wrestling career, you were kind of born into a wrestling family. Uh, mm-hmm. When did you be- when did you begin and uh, talk about your family's involvement in the sport? Sure. So going back um, to my really to my aunts and uncles um, and my dad. So they all well not my aunts I should say my uncles, but my mom's brothers all wrestled. Uh, my dad and his brothers all wrestled. So there was a wrestling connection in the family. Uh, obviously, my parents' high school sweethearts uh, got married. My dad wrestled at Princeton. Um, so wrestling was absolutely in my blood from day one. Um, but uh, my dad was actually a youth coach in northern New Jersey. Uh, he ran a youth program called Stillwater Freedom Wrestling. Um, to be quite honest with you, when he was running the program, there was a point in time where it was probably the best youth program in the country and at the time we didn't really have all these youth uh, tournaments that we do now but uh, we just had this phenomenal group of coaches who made the sport so much fun for everybody and you know I was a two and three year old running around on the mats and just was loving being around it and enjoying it and, uh, uh, my dad never pressured me or my brothers into the sport just kind of found our way into it um, and then obviously once basketball was checked off the list and you know, we we started to focus more on wrestling, really just developed a genuine love for it. And, uh, you know, we was fortunate to be a part of a, a uh, great high school program, a really small school that quietly did very, very well in the state of New Jersey. Um, and then I also grew up 10 minutes from Blair Academy and uh, was incredibly lucky to, to be allowed to work out in that room with Jeff Buxton and, and the team that he had there at the time, so... Uh, my roots in wrestling, especially in North Jersey, go pretty deep, and my family roots are, are even deeper. And I would have to imagine that you come from a you know really balanced, well-rounded family. You're, you said your dad wrestled at Princeton. Your brother wrestled at Penn as well, and another at Virginia. So obviously academics were stressed as well as wrestling. Absolutely. That was something that was uh, – that was the one thing that was probably forced on us more than anything else. Is we weren't allowed to do poorly in school. We had to do well and we had to be well-rounded. We were all multiple sport athletes through high school as well. Um, so it was it was about the experience and about uh, performing at a high level across the board. Um, my mom actually went back to school and got her degree uh, when I was in college, and she graduated at the top of her class and ended up earning scholarships, and you name it, across the board. And uh, you know, it was just the the bar was set very high on the academic end for our family, for sure. And to talk about what made Penn the right place for you coming out of high school, uh, from speaking with you before, I know you have a story about a big dual meet you got to witness involving Penn while you're being recruited. Mm-hmm. So uh, going into, I guess, what going into my senior year and my junior year uh, is what the recruiting and timelines allowed at that point. Um, I knew I wanted to go to a good academic school. I hadn't really narrowed it down to Ivy's at all. Uh, to be quite frank, I didn't get a lot of attention from recruiters uh, going into my senior year. Um, it really wasn't until the end of my junior summer, uh, beginning of my senior year, when I started to get a little more attention. Um, so I, I wasn't heavily recruited. Um, you know, my I took official visits to... A pen in Cornell, and that was it. Um, I had a visit set up to go see Stanford at the time. That was in 2001. Uh, I was actually supposed to fly out September 1st, 2001. Or no, I'm sorry, October 1st, 2001. Um, 
and then obviously September 11th happened, and uh, it wasn't quite comfortable jumping on a plane out to San Francisco after that. Uh, so I was mm-hmm. sticking to East Coast schools. Um, so I, you know, I, I visited Cornell and Penn. Uh, I loved both experiences. You know, I went up to Cornell and was very lucky to grab uh, Travis Lee and, and get on the mat with him and work out with him while I was up there on a visit. And you know, I, I knew immediately as soon as I grabbed the guy that he was going to be a phenomenal wrestler. Uh, that was the beginning mm-hmm. of his freshman year. Um, went down to Penn and had a, an equally great experience. Um, I come from a very rural area in New Jersey, as funny as that sounds. Uh, so I think everybody around me was convinced I was going to go to Cornell because, you know, country boy going to the country just makes sense. Uh, mm-hmm. But I kind of decided that I, I wanted a little bit of change of scenery, different change of pace. Um, I love the coaching staff that was at Penn at the time. Was, you know, Roger Raina, Mike Durow, Brian Dolph. Um, Glenn Pritzloff. I mean, it was an awesome group there. And I really just clicked with the team when I was down there as well. Um, and then that fall, uh, I believe it was in November, Penn wrestled Iowa at the Palestra in a sold-out arena and absolutely pushed Iowa, who was the number one team in the country at the time, uh, pushed them the whole time, had them on the ropes. And to me, that I thought that was one of the coolest things ever, that you get an Ivy League school banging heads with the number one team in the country and giving them all they can handle. And uh, I wanted to be a part of that, and I wanted to try and be uh, on a team that, that was uh, competing at that level. And so as a freshman, you had a solid year, lost in the first round of the three-seeded nationals and made it back to the round of 12 before getting eliminated. Uh, it ended up being the only year you were off the podium. Take us through how it felt getting that close and then losing a one nothing decision to Tony Black to finish your freshman year? You know, looking looking back on that, uh, that tournament for me, it was probably the best thing that ever happened in my career. Obviously, you want to end on the podium, but, um, you know, that was when I really truly understood that you can't get on that podium without being a well-rounded wrestler. Um, I lost to Tony Black because I got ridden out. I couldn't get off bottom, and that was the difference in the match. I rode him for probably a minute and change in the third period, but I was already down one, or it was zero zero at the time. Cause I didn't get out. He got out with a minute or so left and I lost one, nothing. And, um, you know, that was very much eye opening for me. It was a, a great learning lesson. And it was something that I convinced myself that, you know, if I really want to do this and I want to be on the podium and top of the podium, I need to be a uh, solid wrestler across the board. Then a year later at Nationals, you came in as a three seed and got knocked off in the first round by Mark McKnight. Mm-hmm. Talking about having a big upset like that, getting over it, battling back through the concees to place fifth, because you've said that the round of 12 match this time around is one of your favorite matches of all time. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I uh, wrestled very, uh, very much poorly in my first match that, that year at the NCAA tournament. I completely looked past Mark McKnight and was not prepared to wrestle. You know, no excuses. He beat me, you know, square, fair and square. And, you know, I, I just wasn't prepared for it. And, um, yeah, it definitely lit a fire under me for the rest of that tournament. Um, you know, I wrestled, I wrestled two quadruple overtime matches back to back. The first two, two matches of that tournament, uh, one against Mark McKnight, one against Tanner Gardner, of Stanford, uh, lost one, 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 and then kind of got it on a little bit of a tear coming back through. Um, so I, um, made the round of 12 
This was in uh, 2004 in in uh, St. Louis, and um, wrestling against uh, Luke Eustis from Iowa um, in the round of 12, and it was, I believe, the first year that Iowa was really in a title race going into the last day, last few days. Um, Eustis was, or I believe, a returning All-American at the time. Two years prior, had been in the national finals. Um, obviously a really tough Iowa guy. Um, and, and staying with apparently my theme for the tournament, uh, the match went into overtime. We went through the full two sets of overtimes. And uh, first one really close. We're banging heads, going toe-to-toe, no takedown. Uh, both escape in the second round of, of or first round of rideouts, no takedown in the second set of overtimes. And when we got to the, the next set of rideouts, um, was definitely the turning point in the match and where the match was, was held it was on the corner mats in the I formation and um, I happened to be in the corner where all the Iowa fans were and uh, you know to be honest it, it I think I really kind of broke Eustis in that, that uh, ride out the second set of ride outs there I reversed them and then um, reversed them and turned them and then turned them in the second set of ride outs ended up beating them by six points or four points uh you know, beat him pretty solidly in the end. So uh, that was, quite frankly, my favorite match I ever wrestled. It was an absolute blast to wrestle. Um, you know, anytime you're in an overtime match with an Iowa guy, with the Iowa fans going nuts all around you, and you're able to stand in there toe-to-toe and bang heads and not break and give in and, you know, be the tougher guy, uh, you got to feel good about yourself. And that was a pretty exciting moment for me. And so the next season you missed due to injury. Talk about the extent of the injury and just how difficult it was being away from the mat for that period of time. So I, uh, I guess it was right around, right around Christmas time in my sophomore year, um, was working out in the pen room, uh, ironically with Chris Flieger. And uh, we just <laughs> were working out, nothing crazy. Uh, he went to go, he was in freestyle at the time because he was taken off of school. Um, he went and threw me in a front headlock and my hand kind of got tangled up and I just remember hearing a gunshot in my ear and being a little confused about what happened and uh, end of the year it turns out I ended up uh, tearing a couple things in my shoulder you know had to get surgery ended up being out the whole next year Uh, was a blessing in disguise for me for sure Um, I was struggling to make 125 my sophomore year so that year off of getting surgery and then really being able to just focus on rehab and lifting and getting bigger, uh, I think helped me get prepared to be the right size and, and uh, you know, strong enough to compete at 133 pounds the following year. And prior to that season, Zeke Jones took over as head coach from uh, Roger Reina. How were the two different and what type of impact did it have on your career with uh, Zeke in your corner those final two years? So Roger leaving was definitely one of the toughest things um, that I dealt with in my career. Um, and we went a long time without naming a coach, too. So we really we had a, uh, a, gr- a studly group of young guys coming in. We had a good team returning, but we didn't have any coaches on staff. So uh, we had a small group of juniors and seniors that were kind of running the show and trying to keep things in line. Um, you know, obviously, when Zeke was named coach, everybody was really excited. Uh, he came in and brought a very different style, a very different approach to wrestling. Uh, for some of the older guys like myself and Matt Evelett and Matt Harrington, that was a little tougher for us to kind of 
wrap our heads around having been in one style for three years and, you know, one program for three years under one coach. Um, but it was a very exciting time. And, you know, he obviously brought a, a good staff with him and, and, uh, you know, our team's had some, some great success with him at the helm. And so that season you made it to your first NCAA final where you squared off with Chris Flieger, who you mentioned before. Um, talk about how that was kind of a re- revenge match for you and then the match itself where your defense on the feet and then your mat wrestling proved to be the difference because of the riding and the reversal. Yeah, so so uh, going into the finals, um, you know, when, once we realized it was probably going to be Chris in the finals, uh, as soon as it happened, as soon as he won, I was frankly terrified. Um, we had wrestled my freshman year, and he absolutely destroyed me. Uh, it was probably the worst beating I've ever taken in my college career. He, he beat me 15 to five with like three and a half minutes riding time. Probably took me down five times, turned me. I mean, just absolutely dominated me as a freshman. Um, but our coaches did a really good job of, of getting a good scout on him, understanding his strengths. Where he was really good and really trying to use that to my advantage and. Going into the match, I knew I knew he had a great low single. I know he had a great inside trip on his feet, um, and that I needed to be prepared to defend both. And uh, going into that first period, really into the last minute of the first period, I did a good job of of staying away from his strengths and really trying to kind of wear him down and hand fight him a little bit more. Um, obviously, he got in on that low single. I reacted in a way that I probably wouldn't normally react. We ended up in a uh, interesting position. Um, but I knew if I kept fighting through the position, I'd have an opportunity to, to <laughs> squeak out of it. And I did manage to get out of it. And it was one of those moments where he was so close to getting the takedown. I knew he was so close to getting the takedown. He knew he was so close to getting the takedown. And when he didn't get it, I could kind of feel a little bit of air deflate out of him. And I could feel the momentum shift a little bit. And uh, going into the second and third period, when it became a top-bottom match, I knew that was going into my favor. I knew he was great on top, but I definitely was proud of my bottom wrestling at that point in time. And, you know, I, I knew that I could, uh, could really turn the tides in the second and third. And so how do you handle it mentally starting your senior season as the returning NCAA champion? You've got everybody gunning for you instead of just being another guy who's trying to win a title. Well, fortunately I didn't have to worry about it too long because the first tournament I wrestled in, I lost to Nick Simmons. So, um, I wasn't ranked number one for very long, which uh-huh. frankly was probably a sigh of relief for me. Um, not that that ever really truly phased me at all, but uh, you know, I, I could have a tendency in my career to kind of clam up and tighten up and not really wrestle. Um, and uh, once I got that loss under my belt, I felt a little better. So, you know, a lot of a lot of thanks to to Nick for making sure that he constantly beats me, um, <laughs> so that I. <laughs> so that I uh, was able to relieve some of that pressure. But, um, you know, I, I went into the year very just mo- much focused on that year. And, and Zeke, to, you know, to his credit, pulled me aside before the season and said, congratulations, you won an NCAA title, but you're not defending it. You're just going to earn a new one. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a great perspective to take going into the season. And that was really kind of the thought process that I took into that year of, all right, I won one. Great. It's a new year, though. You know, nobody's guaranteeing me a second one. i got to go around that myself. Okay, and in the second one, I'm only going to bring this up because you told me this before. Uh, you defeated Coleman Scott to win your second title. 
and one of your first reactions was to think that you didn't score a takedown, <laughs> and you were actually a two-time NCAA champ that didn't score a takedown in either title match. And I love that because I like wacky statistical type stuff. But uh, talk about how that was, you know, a real concern for you. Uh, to be honest, when I came off the mat. I was actually a little bit frustrated, uh, which is probably not the normal first reaction when you come off the mat after winning your second NCAA title. But you know, I I walked off the mat and I I knew immediately. I just I didn't open up. I didn't really wrestle the way I wanted to wrestle. And yeah, I won the match, but you know, that's not really me. That's not my style. And um, you know, it's since become a little bit of a joke that. You know, I probably statistically am the only two-time NCAA champ to, you know, win two national titles and not actually score a takedown. Um, <laughs> so I could probably take a little bit of pride in that. But, uh, um, yeah, you know, I, it was something where, I, you know, I, I wanted to go out there and dominate. And, you know, it was a match where I had wrestled Coleman a couple times. Um, you know, we wrestled at the All-Star match that year. I think I took him down three times. Um so I, you know, I knew I could score on him on, on my feet and, you know, he took me down first. I ended up with a reversal. You know, we didn't spend a ton of time on our feet. I got in on deep shot late and I didn't finish. And, um, you know, I just, it was one of those things where, you know, it, it irked me for sure that, that, uh, you know, I was, I was going to win two NCAA titles and, and not have a uh, takedown in my name in the finals themselves. Mm-hmm. And so do you have an extra sense of pride accomplishing what you did, a three-time All-American, two-time NCAA champion at an Ivy League school, and, you know, a school that while you had quality teams, you guys, you know, weren't churning out national champions on a regular basis? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely have a lot of, of pride in that, for sure. And, you know, I, I think it took me a couple of years to really recognize uh, just what I had actually done. Um and how really rare that that is, um, you know. And I, I, I joke with uh, some of the wrestling folks in the Ivy League that you know I, I, I thank Travis Lee for really getting the ball rolling and you know setting off the the trend of Ivy League guys winning NCAA titles. And I think since 2000, 2002, 2003, the Ivy League has had at least one national title every single year. Um, and that's a pretty cool thing, and that's something to be proud of as a league. That uh, you know this this group of nerds is competing at the highest level of the sport, and one of the <laughs> toughest sports in the world. And I think that's something we should all be very proud of. So during the first two episodes of this podcast, I went through my list of the 15 best wrestlers from the 2000 century to not have won an NCAA title. And uh, there were three guys from the list that you either competed against or were in the same weight classes. And we mentioned them already, uh, Chris Flieger, Nick Simmons, mm-hmm. and then Sam Hayeswinkle. In your opinion, who was the toughest guy that you wrestled that didn't win a title? Could be from that group or even somebody else? Uh, well, that group's definitely in there. I wrestled all three of them. Um, I, to this day, still think Chris Flieger is one of the best wrestlers, just pure wrestlers um that i've ever wrestled against um i throw uh sean bunch in that in that group mm-hmm. um he i think we wrestled nine times i never beat him once um whether it's through high school college or or open level um you know he was just one of the most explosive and and uh and exciting wrestlers out there um 
But, you know, to be honest, those guys are such just good people, too. They they were great wrestlers. They were good people. Um, you know, Nick Simmons and I, you know, he was, I think, the only guy to pin me in college and, you know, embarrassed me by splatling me and probably tore my groin <laughs> in 10 places. But, um, you know, after college, we became really good friends. You know, we, we keep in touch constantly. And, uh, you know, he's done a lot of things in his career that he should be very proud of, too. So, um yeah, you know, it's such a great group of guys there, and, and uh, they're definitely all studs for sure. And uh, it goes to show you just how tough that NCAA tournament is. That you, know, you got guys in that list that made world teams that didn't win an NCAA title, and it's just something truly impressive about that. Okay, I have a request since you're an administrator now, and you can make things happen. I, ha- I need <laughs> re- required coaching outfit for all sports at Penn you know, whether it's baseball, squash, swimming, everything, I need that to consist of Mike McMullen's sweater with the giant P on it. I, I was a huge fan of that. Do you think you can make that happen? I tell you what, I don't know where he got it from. I need to get myself one for sure, and I'll probably wear that in the office every single day. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think that's a conversation that our coaches are going to be having with me in the near future here, especially when they go on recruiting trips. You know, we want to make sure we get that sweater out there. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. Okay, um, is there anything else that you'd like for people to know about you? Uh, I think that about covers it. Uh, you know, I just really appreciate the opportunity to come on here and talk to you, and, uh, you know, I'm very excited to uh, hear some of your future podcasts as well. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Big thanks to Matt Valenti for joining us on Sudden History. Once again, I'm going to thank Matt Valenti for coming on to Sudden History while out in Iowa City for the Olympic Trials. I'm going to let you guys in on some inside baseball-type information. About two years ago, almost to the day, I started doing research for a project that I'm still not really discussing publicly. However, I'll say that it involves past NCAA champions. Well, I was kind of nervous about embarking on such a huge project and the first person I interviewed for the project was Matt Valenti. At the time, I had never really spoken with him, but he was always very polite and friendly when talking about pen wrestling for the D1CW website. I liked watching him compete, so I figured, what the heck, let's start off with him. Well, Matt gave me some great insight. It was a great interview at the time, so that just kind of started the ball rolling for the rest of the project. Sometimes I think that if he would have been really dull and unfriendly, maybe I would have reconsidered the whole project and it would have saved me two years' worth of effort. No, I'm kidding. Um, Before I wrap up this week's show, be sure to check out all the shows on the Matt Talk Podcast Network with all the happenings at the Olympic Trials this weekend. I'm sure Jason will put out a ton of dynamite content with some topical guests. Again, thanks for joining us on Sudden History, and tune in again next week. As is now the custom, I'll let Greg Jones take us away. How the hell do I get off this stage?